Well, the title of the sermon is called Living Stones, and the passage, of course, you'll need to stick around 1 Peter 2, those few verses that Carl read. Um, And I honestly feel with Amanda singing that last song, um, like we could just go home, honestly. I feel... I feel I heard the gospel in the particular way that she, I don't know, embodied that song. It was great. So very, very helpful. Thank you, worship team. They come every morning uh, early, earlier than anyone else, uh, except some of the deacons come early too. They, they, they come as well. But there's, there's um, such an appreciation I have for the volunteers that come. Uh, What we're doing here this first Sunday in 2021 is we're really going to look at a very important passage um, that pertains to the vision of Christ Community Church um, and our lives as Christians. Um, I'm sure you've noticed all of the gyms and the Weight Watchers and all the dieting companies have come out with their ads all over the place ready for us to make these grandiose New Year's resolutions Uh, And instead of doing those resolutions with you this morning, I'd rather uh, make a New Year's reconnection to what we've already resolved to do. We need a fresh reconsideration of our vision. And 1 Peter 2 is really the best passage that I know to help us do that. It's a a famous text uh, that many Christians find helpful. And it answers the fundamental question of how God's people are to live and what the purpose of our lives is. Uh, High school students who graduate their senior year feel this kind of um, tension a little bit of what is my purpose? What is my vision? Uh, It's it's fun to to watch the seniors graduate. It's fun for me because I'm so, you know, distant from them in age. But I can remember how stressful it was. To, to really, you know, be thinking through the world is wide open and you really have everything, you know, ready to go. And it's this huge new beginning. And I, I like to ask uh, these seniors uh, specific purpose questions. It's, uh, we usually do this in the context of a ministry called Breakout. So those of you who are in high school, not yet juniors and seniors, you're going to grow. And when you're a junior, you'll join this Breakout ministry, which is really helpful uh, it's the last couple of years before you go off to college, and uh, it's a special time for us to really ask these questions. But they're purpose questions. Why, why do you get good grades? Go to a good college. Why do you get a degree from a good college to get a good job? Why do you get a job? Well, to provide for my family. Why have a family? And on and on it goes until you get to the end, and you're, you're thinking, okay, the world doesn't have a good answer for these purpose questions. And the more worldly I am, the more I'm going to end up thinking, yeah, I don't really know. It's just what everyone seems to do. Or you answer it, it's fun, it's what I want, but you don't really know why. And in the same way, Christ's community could function that way. Without a fresh reconsideration of our vision, we could end up just doing ministries because we've always done these ministries and every other church in town does these ministries, so we do these ministries. But we need to stop and think. I mean, just realize what we're thinking about. We're giving together, all of us, giving a million dollars a year to build this building and run it, to pay all the staff, to pay all the supplies. I mean, it's a lot of movement to get Christ's community up and going. So it's a good, good time to just say, why? What's our purpose? What are we really trying to do? Of course, 
uh, 1 Peter 2 has a great answer for us. And as I read this passage over the last two days, usually I take longer to prepare for a sermon, uh, but Joseph, uh, Friday afternoon, got a call, said, hey, we've got a COVID situation, I can't preach. And, and Paul said, you, you, you do it. And I so I'm here. Thank you, Paul. But <laughs> no, well, Paul's on vacation. He's not even in town. So, or maybe he is. I don't know. I'll go hunt him down, bring him in for the second service. Um, but this, this one's been cooking in the oven for quite some time. So really all it was is just writing my words down. But, but this is amazing to me. When I discovered uh, this passage anew this week, uh, I saw how Christians, how you and I as Christians can see God. And then I discovered how the world can see God. And then finally, the inspiration that we get from this thing called the cornerstone. And I know we all stand on the cornerstone and find our support from the cornerstone, but I I saw something a little different this morning I want to share with you called it's the inspiration of the cornerstone. So let's start. First, we're going to look at the, what the Christian sees. How do we see God? Now, now in order to, to really talk about seeing God, you know, you sort of have to answer the way the world might. Start there. How would they say you see God? Well, in, we're like a scientific, you know, culture. We love uh, materialistic explanations of things. And so we would say something like you see God, like maybe you would see a UFO. Uh, it, Interestingly enough, in New York City, uh, there have been uh, statements saying that UFO sightings have gone up 238%. They're probably just drones, right? I mean, just, you know, but, but, uh, but I don't know what that means. But people are always looking out their window in some building saying, I see a UFO, and then calling someone who records it, I guess. But, uh, but that's kind of the way that we would say we see God. And, and a lot of, you see a lot of books written like this. And they, I... I went in this, uh, I almost died, and I went into the state of just, you know, rising above my body, and I saw God. I saw heaven, and I came back and wrote a book. It's for real. You know, you've seen these kinds of things happen even in the Christian community as well. But Peter takes a different road. He describes this completely differently. How do you and I see God? He starts in verse 4 by saying, as you come to him. Church of Jesus Christ, as you come to God, and you and I are sitting here thinking, well, where is this? Where is God? We have to really go back to the Old Testament to understand where God is, where we can see God in First Peter. So let's go back to the Old Testament. You can think through where the Old Testament Israelites, the nation of God, the people of God, saw God. Where'd they go? They went to the temple. You know this. They built this great building, and uh, Holy of Holies, and this cloud descended upon it, and the glory of God filled the temple. You see that written many times in the Old Testament, and that's how you would interact with God. In order for you to connect with God, you had to connect with God's temple. Actually, there's a really sad passage in Ezekiel 10. Uh, I've been reading more of Ezekiel uh, in the last few years. It's an amazing book. Never knew that, but it was an amazing book. But Ezekiel describes in chapter 1 this chariot throne. It's a weird vision he has. This throne on wheels that brings God's glory into the temple. And that's where it rests. But then an incredibly sad passage in Ezekiel 10 where the same chariot throne is taken away by the cherubim and God's glory leaves. 
Listen to the words. The glory of the Lord went out from the threshold of God's house. Yahweh was leaving. Why? He had been warning the people of God ever since Solomon died. You're doing evil in the sight of the Lord. You're not serving me. You're not worshiping me. The temple has other idols in it. I'm going to leave. And the people of God didn't didn't believe him. But one day, it happened. And the glory of God just, just left. It felt exactly like Adam and Eve being exiled from the Garden of Eden. It's just God left. I mean, can you imagine you standing there watching the glory of God leave and knowing there's no glory here anymore. God's not with us anymore. And then Babylon comes and our enemies. Very sad passage. And to note, God's glory in the form of a cloud never came back to the Holy of Holies, even with Ezra's temple when they rebuilt it. There's no record of the glory coming down. It's very sad. So what happens? How do we see God? If he left the temple, how do we see him? Peter picks up this theme, and it's very interesting. He says in verse 5, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices. This sounds just like the temple of the Old Testament. And it's you, and it's me. And I did see the living stones picture up there, and that's, it was a great picture. But those are river stones, right? We're talking about stones like bricks, like the bricks that made up our building. And as you look out, you can see through the windows these bricks you know, that, that make these high walls. That's the living stones that you and I are together to create this house of God. Paul says the same thing as Peter when he writes in Ephesians 2, you also being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. So it's a spiritual presence of the Lord in us. Now, it's a little odd to describe that temple that way. I mean, it's very physical and material in the Old Testament. Now it seems a little bit mysterious what that means. So we have to kind of think about that. Uh, one thing we'll note is the, is the word you are the living stones. Is, it's plural. Paul and Peter both say plural you. And, and I mean, I guess the lesson here is that there's no individual temples here. There's no individual temples of God walking around. We are together. So if you walk outside, go up to that brick wall over there, and you just try to pull one of those bricks out, it's going to be very difficult. That brick is surrounded by other bricks, interdependent on the bricks around it. It's very difficult to extract that brick out. And that is the message for us today. George Barna, about 10 years after 9-11, thought, let's, let's relook at uh, American Christianity and just see what people think. He did a survey, pretty extensive one. And he found out that 80% of Christians thought that they could grow in their faith and know God deeply without belonging to a church. 80% of the people he surveyed, Christians, said that. You know, you, you come to church, you receive the message, you might take a class, and you go home. But you don't really get connected. You don't really get built into the lives of those at the church. COVID made things even worse, didn't it? 
It really did. It made things difficult. 30%, on average, 30% of the congregations of all churches in America stream it now. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing. That's a good thing. Physical safety is important. You need to stream it at home if you, if you think you're going to be infected. Yes, please. Those of you who are watching right now on Facebook Live, we're glad that you're home. We're glad that you feel safe. We do miss you. We do miss having everybody together, but, you know, but we're even sitting six feet apart most of the time. And we're trying. You know, we're, we're, it's very difficult. COVID has made things very, very difficult for us to be together. And the concern that, that many Christian leaders have is that, that we would all just kind of get used to this, right? That we would be used to streaming things at home and say, why go back? It's so much trouble to dress my kids and get them here. And I mean, and, 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 and then I even have to ask the question, is that what Peter's talking about? The Sunday morning experience that you come here for two hours, hear a sermon, sing a song, go to a class and go home? That's not even what Peter's really talking about. That's what Peter's talking about is being surrounded by other Christians. What this means is that in every part of your life, there's some Christian who knows you. You see, you see where privacy, you know, a lot of us are thinking, I want my privacy, right? It, it feels like, it feels like I want to be watched in every part of my life. You know, that's, that's very difficult for us Americans individuals, right? It's very difficult for us to accept. But that's the image that, that Peter gives. It's, it, we're interdependent. Those bricks underneath me, I'm standing on them. What am I not standing directly on? The cornerstone. You see, the, someone else is standing. I think it's Paul and Peter and John. They're standing on the cornerstone. And then like 20 more bricks, and then, I, and then th- that's where I am. So those, those Christians who I'm standing on, if they fall, if they get punched out of the wall, I fall. And those above me, if I fall, they fall. There's an interdependence there. It, does that describe your connection to other Christians? Or is your connection to other Christians nice and polite, but superficial and yet distant? Well, going forward... How are we going to connect? How are we going to come together after the pandemic? You know, there's been a lot of talk, a lot of articles written about this. Uh, it's going to be very difficult to come back together. And whatever the answer is, um, it's, it's going to do something with technology and streaming things and putting cameras in your church and hosting Zoom meetings and virtual meetings and those kinds of things. So that's kind of the direction, you know, tithing online. And all, all this stuff is going online. But whatever the answer ends up for Christ Community Church... Let's not forget what it means to be interdependent, surrounded by the other living stones of the church. It's very important to remember that. And if anything we do long-term at this church makes it so it's very difficult or impossible to be connected in a biblical way, then we need to change. There really isn't a better um, way to think about this in my mind than C.S. Lewis's book, Four Loves. In his chapter on friendship, he mentions a few of his friends and how they came together in a special way. And it made me think of uh, four, three other workers, four with me, uh, that I worked with over the last couple of years. It was Kelly, Sam Husky, Pearson, and myself. Pearson and Sam were both ministry apprentices, and Kelly and I were on staff. We did a lot of things in the youth ministry. 
Um, and this is by no means exhaustive, but I just remember these four. You know, we, we'd go on trips together, we'd meet in offices for hours and talk about stuff, and, you know, it was really fun to just get to, you really got to know people. You really got to know them. They, they really couldn't hide, especially on a trip. You really get to see someone's true colors if you go on a trip with someone. And I, I was very happy to be a part of it. My, my weaknesses were on display. Their weaknesses were on display. And we had a lot of fun making fun of our weaknesses together. And then Kelly uh, moved. And uh, that was hard. I missed Kelly. And Sam missed Kelly. And Pearson missed Kelly. But do you know what? I saw less of Kelly, but I also saw less of Pearson and Sam, even though I was spending as much time with them as I had before. You see, Kelly brings out in these other people things that I don't bring out. And I saw a Pearson reaction to a Kelly joke, and I learned more about Pearson through that interaction. You see that? But when Kelly left, I lost a little bit of Pearson and a little bit of Sam. And that's the way it is. I mean, think, just think for, for a second. How do you understand Paul? How do you know Paul? You go to coffee with him every day? You sit and pick his brain every day? Do you write letters to him and he writes letters? No, you don't. You hear a sermon. That's a very good way to get to know somebody. Get to hear them think and talk and hear their hearts. But you know how you really get to know Paul? Is you watch the relationships that Paul has with other people, with other pastors in our church, in our community with certain families in, out of the tutoring program. He has special connections with some of those families. And you see him, if, the more you see him interact with those people, you learn something about Paul, don't you? You, you learn from Paul in the way that he interacted with Trinity and the, the way Trinity came into uh, Christ Community Church. His grandkids, his family. You learn about Paul through just watching these interactions. You see that? And that's how you and I are learning about each other all the time. And if it's true about us, it's true about God. Do you see it? You have a perspective of God, of his glory, of the gospel, that someone else in this church, everyone else in this church needs to see and hear. And you have a perspective that others need from you. And if we don't come together like these bricks, together, close enough, long enough, interdependent, spending time together, we don't do that. If we don't open our lives and share our lives together, we'll see less of God. Now, I've got some examples. Again, not exhaustive, but I I wrote them down quickly yesterday afternoon. I could have written 100 people in here because I am privileged to, to know a lot of the congregation in my position here at the church. But let me, just, let me just run through a few of these. I see God's logic in the mind of Matthew Holdsworth. If you know him, he is pretty smart, as many of the young people I interact with are. But I see some of that. I see God's joy in Sharon Radford. Can I have a witness? Anyone else see that? I see God's compassion in Will Baker. Right there, Will Baker. Now, it's not all I see in Will. I see a lot more Will. There's a lot more to you than that. Believe me, but, uh, but God's compassion. I see God's humble service in Richard Troutman. I see God's justice in my dad, God's mercy in my mom, God's sacrificial love in my wife. Just recently, we can all see God's faithfulness in the life and death of Don Roberts. 
What an example of God's faithfulness, right? You might remember Don Roberts came up on December 13th and joined the church from a wheelchair, and then a few days later, he, he went home to be with the Lord. So whatever COVID does to our programming, remember, we need to be together as living stones because we need to seek God. Uh, now, we also notice not only that we are seeing God through the interactions we have with each other, uh, but also the early Christians had this reaction as well. It's very biblical. In Acts chapter 4, let me read this passage, a great passage that exemplifies this. All the believers were one in heart and mind. No one claimed that any of their possessions was their own. Do you see how that's a brick in a brick wall? No one claimed that any of their possessions uh, was their own. All right, so I know someone here has a boat, and I'm going to use it this afternoon. <laughs> Just kidding. But, but you're, in your mindset of all of your possessions, I'm going to share my possessions with this body of believers. I'm going to open it up. They shared everything they had. And this not only just means possessions, it means decisions. I'm thinking about doing this big decision. Who am I going to have help me? You guys are going to help me think that through. I'm not going to be on my own. With great power, the apostles continued to testify to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus. And listen to this. God's grace moved so powerfully, was so powerfully at work in all of them. So open up to others, share your food, share your homes, share your money, share your times. Look, I know it's hard. It's, it's fun and easy at first, but then you get to know people, really know people. I know it's hard. Broken relationships that need conflict resolution. People who hurt others. I understand that. Prickly people, hard to get along with people. Differing personalities. I know it's difficult. But this is the charge of Peter, and it informs the vision of the ministry here at Christ Community Church, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him, that you may see God's excellence. Now, not only can we see God, but the world can see God. Now, this is interesting. The world can see God. That's what it says here. The unbelievers come, non-Christians come, and they, they see our good deeds, and they glorify God is what this passage says. It really is the ultimate purpose of the church here on earth in this age. It isn't the ultimate purpose of the church for all time, but in this age, in the Great Commission, it is. We are really here for them. Let's look at verse 9. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. So that you may proclaim, like that's a loud voice that lots of others hear. Look at verse 12 and look for the purpose statement here. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and turn to glorify God on the day of visitation. You see the so that there? It's there. Peter is saying it's not just for us to see God. It's for the world to see God. These living stones that you and I are proclaim, we do good deeds, and the world is watching. Now, this is a little bit of a tension, because when we come together as living stones, right, we, we form a, a group of people that kind of is closed in some ways. 
And it's very difficult to maintain the tension of being in the world and yet not of the world, as Jesus said. Churches make this mistake all the time. Two mistakes. We've made them, both of them. <laughs> the first mistake is that we, we separate ourselves together and we alienate ourselves from the world. And we just stick together. It's safe here, right? We don't have to expose ourselves to a sinful um, pressures or temptations or influences out there. We get to just be safe right here. That's alienating. Some churches make the mistake of assimilating. They go out into the world and they open their doors and the world comes on in. But what they end up doing is they compromise their beliefs to accommodate other beliefs. So which one is right? Peter's answer is neither. We have to live in attention in this life. Peter says in verse 5, he says, You yourselves are like living stones being built up as a spiritual house. Sorry, verse 11. That was verse 5. I'm on verse 11. Sojourners and exiles. Abstain from the passions of of the flesh. That sounds like Peter is saying, hey, you're exiles. You're not at home. Separate yourselves. Don't become like the culture. Paul says, do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Don't assimilate. Churches that assimilate, these are churches that believe anything and everything, right? They, they're largely, uh, you know, the churches that get the biggest endowments. They have the biggest, nicest buildings in the center of towns. These, these churches uh, really, though, water down Christianity sometimes so much that they are actually not Christian themselves. They look just like the world, and the world says, that's great. So Paul, Peter says, don't do that. Don't assimilate. But also in verse 12, it says, keep your conduct among the Gentiles, among them. We are among them. Don't alienate yourselves. Churches that alienate themselves, these are churches that create their own schools, their own neighborhoods, their own music, their own movies, their own clubs. And before long, we're so far away from the world that when the thought actually occurs, hey, we should do some evangelism, we're miles away. Speaking a completely different language even. I mean, it's just so far away that we have to build these massive evangelism programs that bridge from the church to them. So Peter is saying, be among them and let them be among you. That's what Peter is saying. It's a tension. And when Peter says the word exile in verse 11, he's almost certainly thinking of Daniel. Daniel was an exile. He went off to Babylon and uh, Daniel actually did not become a Babylonian. He didn't eat certain foods. He certainly didn't worship any of their gods. And he tried to keep his own name. I mean, he was just, he was trying to be Israelite, you know, as a nation of God, a people of God. I am Daniel. But he lived in Babylon for 70 years. And he didn't just sit there. He worked and improved and benefited the city of Babylon. So he was a resident, not a guest, not a tourist. He was a resident, but he was an alien. Do you see that? Daniel was a resident alien. That's exactly what Peter's telling us we need to be here on earth, a resident alien. And Peter in this, this book is speaking to Greeks in Greek cities and Romans in Roman cities, and now to Americans in America. He says, you're not at home. 
However great America is, however patriotic you are, as a Christian, you're an exile. Something we need to think about as we think through our vision here at Christ Community. <clears throat> well, this is, uh, this is true of Daniel, it's true of us, uh, and I think the tension was seen by a, a Roman historian, uh, and he wrote in the second century, he wrote this very interesting uh, description of Christians. He, he, he never became a Christian, but he, he wrote this really cool, like, just sentence, listen to it. He said, these new Christians, he called them a new genus of men given to a new and mischievous superstition. Genus, meaning a species of man, a new kind of man, right? A brand new thing. He noticed that they weren't alienating themselves and they weren't assimilating, but they were resident aliens. It's very interesting, his perspective on that. So we need to go into the culture, but we also need to gather together. And when we do, it's never a shut door to outsiders. This means creating a church where all ministry happens with the expectation that non-Christians will be present. The church and the church community become both an inviting place and a beautiful alternative to American culture, where non-Christians can come close and stay long enough to see the glory of the gospel and the glory of God. It's kind of like one of those uh, auto stereograms. You ever seen one of those before? It looks like wallpaper and just patterns of colors and dots and you know, and then, and then the teacher, in, in, my, in my case, I put it up in the theater for teenagers. I, I put it up, and, and people are looking at it, and I say, look, look closely. Look long enough. You'll see it. You'll see it. Do you see it? And one person sees it first and goes, oh, it's a shark. You know, kind of the 3D image kind of pops out. You know what I'm talking about, right? So you, you don't. Okay, auto stereogram. Google it. It's, it's weird. This, this 3D image of a shark just kind of emerges. And the first person that see, sees it screams, oh, it's a shark. And then everyone else is like, what? You saw something? And they're, and they're all squinting, and they're like doing this and that. And there's a technique to do it. You've got to learn a technique to look at it. But, but some people, you know, will, will, it'll take them, well, hours. To, and they'll finally see it. I see it finally. And then some people never do. Some people just never, ever see it. That's the picture of you and me in the world. We need to be in the world, them among us and us among them, for them to look long enough, close enough for the glory of God to emerge so that they can see it. And some will see it right away. Some it'll take a long time, and others will never see it. This tension does go away. It's not a forever thing. I mean, clearly in Revelation 9, after this I looked, behold, a great multitude uh, that no one could number from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne, before the... The king. I mean, that, that was awesome. That's an awesome moment that you and I are all going to be a part of. And in that multitude, there are no non-Christians. It's purely Christians, and everybody sees God's glory as clear as day. And we together, with complete perfect unity, will sing the praises of God. But not today. Today, they are among us and we are among them. Now, this, this tension brings persecution. That's our last point. This is where the inspiration, not just the standing on, the dependency to stand on the cornerstone, you know, but the inspiration that this cornerstone gives us. When the tension 
brings persecution. You see there in verse 9, so that when they speak evil against you as evildoers, right? So, so the audio stereogram comes. They don't see it. They're like, this is dumb. Why am I looking at this? And they start criticizing the picture. That's kind of the, the feeling when non-Christians, you, you're narrow-minded. Jesus is the only way. How can you say that? You are the only people on the whole face of the earth that have the ultimate truth? How arrogant of you. They will persecute us. They'll be offended by what we say. And Peter here in this passage, he shows us an inspiration to keep going. Jesus Christ, the ultimate resident alien. We can draw strength from Jesus Christ, the example of how he lived on earth. He lived among sinners, but he never sinned himself. He was among them, but he was not assimilated to them. In fact, everything that Jesus did, we were supposed to do. He lived the life we were supposed to live. He died the death we were supposed to die. And he rose and he gave us his eternal life. We see in verses 4 and 5 that God saw this, this stone that the builders had rejected. He saw it and he, he saw it was precious and he chose Jesus. Jesus is precious. And then Jesus saw that we were precious and he chose us. And every Christian looks at Jesus and says, precious, and chooses Jesus. You see how exclusive that is? It's not just a logical statement of the truth, of right and wrong. This exclusivity in Christianity is a preference, a choice of love. I choose Jesus because he's the most precious to me, more precious than anything else in the world. Everything else in our lives is sacrificed and given up so that we can have this precious love. And Christ Community Church is founded, is built on top of this love relationship. That is the inspiration of the cornerstone. It's the reason we exist. We give and we give and we give sacrificially over and over again to each other and to the world. How can we do that? Because we are so well loved. Listen, who cares if you have the acclaim of the serfs when you have the love of the king? Well, this truth that is so exclusive is a man who dies for his enemies. This is the one we, we've, we stand on. This is the one that we draw our inspiration from. Our prayer is that we will see a, um, a group or so of, of people from the world who are non-Christians come in and see how we've all been infected by this overwhelming precious love. And then many of them, if not all, would see this glory and join us and help us glorify God together. So a few things in summation. Be surrounded by and interdependent on other Christians. Share your lives with other Christians. A great first step, be in a community group, lead a community group if there wasn't one open. Make sure uh, that you send your kids to uh, the ministry events here at church. Uh, in the youth ministry, I see a lot of teenagers kind of fall off. Make sure they're in community with other teenagers. 
Uh, we don't just play dodgeball and eat pizza. We have uh, real life-on-life relationships. That's what we foster there. It's really important. Uh, number two, expect non-Christians to show up here. Don't be surprised when they do. Sunday morning, uh, mothers of little ones, each tutoring ministry, uh, the health clinic, the youth ministry, nursery, Sunday school classes, all of them. Just welcome them in. They're going to be here. Uh, they're here because God drew them in. Three, go out into the world. Be a resident alien in your job, neighborhood, school. God has placed you there. And just pray for God to bring someone to you that you can be a friend to and that you can share your life with. And then finally, remember, always remember the example of Jesus. Think often of the person of Jesus and meditate on how much he loves you. Allow yourself to be infected with this love. And that's a vision for 2021. Let's pray. God, be our vision. We want to see you. We want to see your glory. We want to see where you're moving, the direction you're going. And as we make decisions in our personal lives about what kind of jobs we have and what schools we're going to go to, as we make decisions as a church about what our land is going to do, what Trinity is going to do, uh, what the ministries are going to look like, what the post-pandemic church experience is going to be, I pray that you would be our vision, that we would never lose 1 Peter 2 and the idea of being a living stone, a living stone who sees God and shows God to the rest of the world.